get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's you know washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. Right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F- that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a quarterback. Starting QB has been announced no, don't do that. I have so many puns ready for this. <laughs> I already tweeted out the Beans Beans Magical Fruit poem. I really, it's only a matter of time if he does well before like, one of the barbecue joints in town gets them to sponsor the beans, right? I, I'm excited, man. I'm really excited. I saw, I was watching some highlights of this guy and he looked, I mean, North Texas, I think, had that really good year a couple years ago. I don't know if he was the quarterback then. He wasn't. He wasn't very good last year when he played, but he had solid stats. I mean, completion percentage, you like to be more, but everything else was solid. But considering how we don't know what this offensive line is, I'm I'm hoping his mobility comes into play a little bit here. And that could be pretty vital. 10-3-6 was his 100-meter time, and that was, I believe, his senior year of high school. That's what DK Metcalf just ran in the trials so really fast really really fast and I don't know that the offense is going to be tailored around that specifically him running like a a read zone and using his legs a ton but in the wide zone I would imagine there's going to be play action there's going to be rollouts there's going to be bootlegs where to that extent he will and when it does break down or the offensive line just block it'll give you that advantage Uh, 14 touchdowns five interceptions last year added five more rushing scores to 19 touchdowns five picks Here's what else is great. He averaged 7.8 yards per attempt last season. If he averaged 7.8 yards per attempt this year, that would be the most that a KU quarterback has averaged in a season since 2008 when Todd Reesing averaged 7.9. And Todd Reesing, in the Orange Bowl year, the year before, averaged 7.8. That's what Jason Bean did last year. Again, completion percentage in the 50s. You need to see that go up. But the other stuff... Gives you some nice potential there. And obviously the biggest gift being his legs with that insane speed. I think, honestly, to me, this creates even more hype around the game for KU fans. I don't know. Is it the difference of you deciding whether you're going to buy tickets or not? Maybe, but 
maybe it's the difference between you saying, hey, you know what? I have tickets to the game and it's supposed to rain tonight and storm tonight. So I don't know what's going to happen with the game. Maybe I'll just stay at home and watch the game on TV. And now that you see Jason Bean, this new shiny toy who we haven't seen in a KU jersey, a guy who had success last year at North Texas as a starting quarterback, I would think it motivates you a little bit more to say, you know what? Maybe I do want to go out to the game. Maybe I do want to see what's going on. And that in itself is exciting for KU football in this game. Opponent, obviously, is South Dakota. And in this game specifically, KU is a 15-point favorite. The over-under was 54, I believe, which means they're projecting around a, like a 34-20, to 34-19 game in favor of KU. I think that might be a little too many points. Um, but honestly, this game isn't as much about South Dakota. You know, some other game previews we could tell you that, yeah, this is what Texas Tech does well. This is what Kansas can do to exploit that. This is what Texas Tech could do to exploit what Kansas doesn't do well. Yes, that is all true for South Dakota, and I'll get into that in a minute, but this is more so about what KU does internally than anything else. If KU plays their game, and heck, if, if KU maybe even plays their B game, I would think they should be fine. The coaches aren't going to tell the players that. Like, you know, Lance Leipold's about to send them off to the field. Hey, do your best. If it's not good enough, just B game. Just That's all we need, the B game. But if we do see those self-inflicted mistakes for KU, we see those dumb penalties, we see the blown coverages, the missed blocks, the special teams issues, we see those things that have plagued KU for so many years, they can absolutely lose this game. You have a South Dakota team who wasn't dominant in the trenches last year. I mean, we had their voice of the team John Thayer on with us in July to preview the team, and he said that is the team's biggest question. And KU has questions in the trenches too. But I think from where you were last year, you actually feel pretty solid where the line on offense and defense seems to be relatively. So go out there, win at the line of scrimmage, heck, dominate at the line of scrimmage. And Because if you can't do it in this game, Where's your advantage down the road in those areas? Show that you can dominate from an athletic standpoint and a size standpoint and in the trenches in this one. It'll be the third meeting between Kansas and South Dakota. KU won the first two. Last meeting came in 2013. And I think there could be some similarities in how that game went to how this one did. That was a Charlie Weiss team, and it wasn't an overly imposing KU win. But it also was a KU win that it never really felt like KU was in serious danger of losing the game, but it never was comfortable enough where you felt like, okay, well, this one's completely over. I mean, at one point in the fourth quarter, it was 24 to 14. KU eventually went on to win 31 to 14. James Sims had nearly 100 yards, a couple scores. Anyway, the reason I bring that game up, I think it could follow a similar blueprint on tonight's meeting. And honestly, if that is what happens, I think you consider it a success. I mean, just get a win any way you possibly can in this game. Because this is a free year, so to speak, for Lance Leipold. But as Andy Kotelnicki talked about at KU Football Media Days a couple weeks ago, it is a lot easier to instill culture when you're not playing games comes a lot more of a challenge when you're down 42 to 10 to Oklahoma or when you're staring down the barrel at a 2 and 10 season. 
lot harder to get that commitment, a lot harder to get that buy-in when the record's not there, when the results aren't there. And that's part of what Lance Leipold and his staff have preached, the process over results. We hear it with a lot of really successful football teams. If you lose tonight, it doesn't change all that you've done so far, and it doesn't make it so that change cannot continue, but it does make things a hell of a lot harder and more difficult in year one when you're trying to achieve your foundation, when you're trying to get as much of that buy-in and culture as you possibly can here right away. And so if you look at that last meeting with South Dakota in 2013, if you were to say 31-14, to win's a win, take it to the bank. And at that point, heck, they'd even be covering the spread. But a game where they're kind of in it, but you keep them at arm's length for a little bit, you know, you don't overly stress yourself to say that, oh, no, we're in serious danger of losing this game, and you still end up winning it by a couple scores. I think that's definitely a possibility tonight. I think that would, at the end of the day, probably be, I mean, it wouldn't be the best thing in the world. Most ideal situation is KU just blows them out from kickoff, but I don't know that we can go into it expecting that to happen. Hopefully the weather cooperates with the game tonight. Right now, it looks like it is kind of moved back where it's supposed to happen later tonight, but who knows? Hopefully, could you imagine that if the first game of the season, they, they schedule it on a Friday and then it just gets moved to a Saturday anyway? I would assume they would play it on a Saturday. Normally when games get like delayed because of weather, they might just call it and just say we're not playing the game, and that would be a big miss for KU because it's like, hey, here's your first chance at a win in a couple of years. I think it would be cool if instead of doing that, they were just like, hey, we're just going to, you know, the practice indoor facility is right right across the, the parking lot. Let's just go in there. And, yeah, sure, we're not going to have many fans. Like, we'll have, like, two bleachers worth of fans. I just think that would be kind of a cool situation. But, honestly, hopefully nothing comes of that and we do get the game fully in tonight. Um, as far as, like, the scouting report looking further into South Dakota, if you look at pro football focus grades from a season ago, South Dakota had a 65.2 offense, which that's compared to FCS teams. So it's not a linear comparison to say, hey, they had a 65 on offense and KU had a 49 on offense. Oh, they were better. No, I mean, they were playing FCS teams, KU, was, so you have to adjust it to that. And how you adjust it is basically saying, well, this is what they ranked among FCS teams. And South Dakota's offensive grade was 55th among 101 FCS teams. So about average, middle of the pack. And if I told you, I'm telling you right now, KU is playing what was the 55th best offense in the FCS last year. What would your concern level be on that? I don't think it would be very high. Again, this is KU football, and there have been reasons to be hesitant and a little wary. And no game is a guarantee over this last decade plus with KU football. So I don't want to make it sound like that, but the worry level to me isn't there because, like I said, you're talking about a team who wasn't even top 50 in offensive grade a season ago in the FCS. That shouldn't be overly concerning. And they ended up as a solid passing unit. They were about average as a pass-blocking team. They were bad receiving unit, had bad grades there. Solid running unit and about average run-blocking unit. And when you look at KU's best grade defensively, it came in tackling, which the running grade specifically is 
what you're doing with the balls in your hand. It's it's not necessarily dependent on the blocking. It's are you breaking tackles? Are you moving by guys? And that was South Dakota's, as mentioned, they had a solid grade in the running game or with their running grade. And so KU being a good tackling team, maybe that negates it a little bit. And I, I think South Dakota will be able to move the ball kind of at an inconsistent rate. Like there will be some drives where they're able to go down. I'm sure there will be some drives where they three and out. I think they're going to score. It's not going to be something where KU's defense is going to dominate. But KU should be able to hold South Dakota to under 20 points. And if you're holding an FCS team under 20 points, you should 100% win that game. And this goes back to the 2013 game, which is another similarity that you can make to what this year's game could be like. You ran the ball a lot with the Charlie Weiss offense. It was kind of more of a ball control offense, especially compared to what you had after that with David Beatty and Brent Deerman, where you were running the clock a little bit and you were pounding the ball into the ground a little bit. That's going to be more of what you're going to see tonight, I would imagine, with the wide zone run, with a good stable of running backs, with seemingly a better offensive line this year, to where it's going to be harder for the opposition to put up big point totals if they have the ball less or if there are less possessions in the game. Doesn't mean they can't be as efficient. Doesn't mean they can't be as good of an offense, but just in terms of how much they score, I wouldn't imagine it's going to be more than 20 when you combine the slower down tempo, when you combine it wasn't an offense that graded out too well, when you combine there's at least talent in this KU defense. There's a lot of questions where you go from last year, but on paper, the defense is more talented than the South Dakota offense. And so if you do that, you hold them under 20 points, I would only hope the offense can muster up 20 points. I would assume they can. KU's best offensive skill, according to Pro Football Focus last year, was their running grade. South Dakota's worst defensive skill last year was their tackling grade. That seems to work out well for KU. And when I'm mentioning these numbers for South Dakota, they're, they're probably even more telling than what KU's numbers are because with South Dakota, you have more of a continuous roster from their last season, and South Dakota just played in the spring, going one and three in the spring season. So you're basically taking the same team that was playing five, six months ago, as opposed with KU, you're taking a team that was playing 12 months ago. That could be problematic for South Dakota and really good for KU. You know they want to run the ball. You know they have good running backs. They had good running grades last year. South Dakota struggled tackling. And so overall, South Dakota had the 59th rated defense on pro football focus. They were just 82nd, 82nd in the FCS in terms of run defense grade, and they were 83rd in the FCS in pass rush grade. Offensive line for KU should feast in this game. If they don't, it's not necessarily condemning them for the rest of the season because Offensive lines tend to get better as the season goes on. It takes time to mesh and gain continuity. Uh, a couple years ago, when KU lost to Nickel State in the first game, the offensive line looked like it was going to be a, a weak unit on the team. But as the season went on, they actually became one of the better units on the team. So that absolutely happens. But for a team that has those low grades, that you have more talent than, it shouldn't happen tonight. The best part about the South Dakota defense was their coverage last year. They were actually 11th in the FCS, but again, if I'm expecting most of KU's work to be done on the ground, I'm not overly concerned with that. 
And like I could actually see this being a situation where KU runs for 250, 300 yards in this game. Velton Gardner gives you, I don't know, that 300 might be a little high. Uh, but Velton Gardner gives you, you know, 70 yards or 80, 90, 100 yards. He busts one for 60, 70. That's all it takes with a guy like Velton Gardner. Devin Neal gives you 56 yards. Maury Pesek-Hickson gives you 50, 60 yards. Daniel Hyshaw, some others contribute off the bench, give you 20, 30 yards each. I think it's definitely a big possibility tonight, and I'm expecting the run game to do well for KU. Another observation I'll be looking for is how the special teams performs for KU. They struggled last year. They struggled in years past in the special teams game, really over the past decade. South Dakota was actually solid as a special teams unit a season ago. They had the 28th best grade in special teams, according to Pro Football Focus, for FCS schools. Now, this is more about a mentality thing to me than anything and proof of a changing culture. I mean, that's what Jake Schoonover talked about. You know, it's it's kind of proof that you're buying into the program, and it seems like the KU players are buying into the program. So is it all going to be fixed right away? Probably not. But can you be better than being like 120th in the country in special teams? Can you be like 60th, like middle of the pack in the country? I think so. I think that is one thing. While, you know, the offense, there should be growth, but how much growth? Like, will you go from 15 points per game to 25 points per game? No. Well, could you go from 15 to 18, 19? Yes. Could you go from giving up 46 points per game to being a touchdown better? Yeah. But could you go from giving up 46 a game to giving up 28 a game? No, that's not going to happen. The special teams, I view differently from that. I think with the special teams, you could legitimately, just with more buy-in, with playing more starters on the special teams, with guys who are better at special teams, with having better schemes, more buy-in there, I think you could go from being one of the worst special teams units to being one of the top quarter in the NCAA. I mean, you look at the top special teams units by efficiency last year. Syracuse, Boise State, Kansas State, these aren't teams that are overrun with talent. So that's what I'm looking for along with the offensive line the most tonight. The two questions that I think start to get answered as soon as game one, how much did playing the most freshman in the country last season matter? Because that's what KU did. Will they be extra experienced? Will they be extra prepared now? And how much does a really good staff impact things right off the bat? Or is the lack of time together without a spring too much to overcome? We saw Les Miles struggle with Indiana State in his first game. That was against an FCS team, another Missouri Valley school. We saw David Beatty fall to South Dakota State, another FCS team, another Missouri uh, Valley school in his first game. And then in his final year, he fell to Nichols State. We saw Turner Gill fall to North Dakota State, another Missouri Valley school. Although, I don't know, maybe I should stop including North Dakota State when I say, oh, KU's okay, lost to three FCS teams the past decade, and he lost to North Dakota State with Turner Gill just because you know, North Dakota State's beaten, like, all sorts of FBS teams. Uh, but I digress. I, I tend to think that that coaching upgrade will be enough, along with a more talented team on paper than South Dakota, to go out and win this game. Am I suspecting a blowout? No. Do I think KU will cover? Mm, I think it'll be close. But do I expect them to come out with the win? Yes, I definitely do. And if they don't, is it the end of the world? No, it's definitely not. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Brandon McAnderson going to join us at 4 o'clock. I'll be out at Mama's Tamale Shop at 4.30 with Scott Jason for the final hour of RCST. Come on out. We'll have some KU football tickets to give away. That's right. Come on by. 
We'll get you hooked up to get into the game. You can uh, try the 285 empanadas at Mama's Tamale Shop as well. This is RCST with Richie Boswell and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back and member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, which you'll be able to hear tonight, barring thunderstorm issues, I guess. Uh, but I guess he'll be on the air either way. He might just be having to fill time in that situation. We'll join us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour from 4.30 to 5.30. We'll be out at Mama's Tamale Shop. So come on by. I'll be there with Scott Chasen. We might have some KU football tickets to give away. And the KISS crew with our sister station, 105.9 KISS, is actually going to be there for a couple hours. So you should definitely swing on by. Um, before we get to BMAC, obviously we'll do our game picks with BMAC. But i got to do the game picks here as well. With Scott, for part of our pregame show at Mama's Tamale Shop, we're going to be doing game picks. But it's more college game day style. This is our classic game picks spread picks, which... Is terrible for me because I'm usually just atrocious at this. So we've got our five college football game picks. Obviously, you know NFL this week. And then I'll try to give you my assumed lock of the week, which typically is maybe even the opposite of a lock. So I don't even know if I should call it that anymore. The first big game, there are five games actually that feature two teams who are ranked in the top 25 facing off against each other. The first is number 19 Penn State taking on number number 12 Wisconsin at 11 a.m. The line is Wisconsin minus five and a half. I feel like every year Wisconsin starts ranked in like the top 15, top 10. They end up underperforming to that mark. They still win, you know, eight games or whatever um, and go to a good bowl game. But it's the years that they start like ranked 22nd or like unranked where they end up having one of these seasons where they go 10 and 2 and they make it to the Big Ten championship game. So that scares me a little bit, even though that's not actually anything of merit. But Penn State is an interesting situation. I mean, that's a team who was really bad last year. But then the final couple games, they figured it out and seemed to be getting back to where they were program wise. I think Penn State is a better team than Wisconsin this year. They got a little unlucky with turnovers last year. Now they bring back 14 players into the fold, or 14 starters, I should say, seven on offense, seven on defense. I am a little worried about the quarterback position, but and honestly, maybe that's an edge for Wisconsin. Typically, you don't say that. Graham Mertz could be really good, but he also struggled at the end of last year, so it's not necessarily a slam dunk there. Um, Both these teams are going to have really good defenses, so maybe the under is the best pick in this game overall, but I think Penn State, at the very least, can keep it close. I mean, both teams, if this is a lower-scoring game that maybe makes it harder to pull away, I just think Penn State's offense is better than what Wisconsin's is. And to me, that maybe is the difference in them pulling off the win and getting back into the good graces of the college football world after a down year last year. So I kind of think Penn State's going to win straight up. Five and a half points seems like way too much. I thought this would have been like a two or three point spread. So I'm definitely taking Penn State here. Uh, Another ranked game, number one, Alabama. They're taking on number 14, Miami. Alabama's given up 19 and a half points. Now, Derek King is really good for Miami, but he ended last year tearing his ACL. And this is his first game back from that. Playing against Alabama, first game back from an ACL. Probably not the best mix of things. And also, you look at what Nick Saban has done in the first games of the season, and it is just steamroll over opponents, even top 25 opponents, which they're playing in Miami. Miami loses some key pass rushers to the team. And listen, you can say, well, Alabama loses all these players too, and that's 100% accurate. But I think we well know that Alabama retools as good as anybody in the country because the backups are five stars waiting to be pros in a couple years as well. So 
I, I think Miami has a little more to overcome with who you fill in to some of these spots. I don't think Alabama's offense will be as explosive, but it's still going to be really good. Like Bryce Young, their quarterback, okay, he was a five-star recruit, and they're just going to throw out a, a stable of backs who are four- and five-star recruits. And John Mechie the third is a really good receiver on the outside. And guess what? They're going to have probably the best offensive line in the country or one of the best offensive lines in the country. That's just Alabama. And whoever they have on defense, it's still going to be one of the best defenses in the country. So I think they're going to win this one big. I think 21 points plus for Alabama, which the 19 and a half, I'll take the Crimson Tide to cover. Indiana taking on Iowa. Early Big Ten matchup between the Hoosiers and the Hawkeyes. Indiana last year had that magical season. And now they're looking to kind of follow that up with another good year in a full season. Whereas Iowa had an interesting year. Iowa started the year 0-2 a season ago. And they lost to Purdue early on. They lost to Northwestern early on, both by combined seven points. After that point, they became a new team. Beat Michigan State by 42. Beat Minnesota by 28. Beat Penn State on the road by 20. Nebraska, then at Illinois. Then they beat Wisconsin to end the year by 21 points. That was a team who finished the year really hot. And now they come into this season bringing back five players on offense and seven starters on the defensive side of the ball. The secondary is where most of the returners and linebackers for Iowa, which you could say, okay, well, that's not great. They don't bring back a bunch of defensive linemen. Iowa always turns out good defensive linemen. So that makes me really confident in the defense. Offensively, you're talking about bringing back your quarterback. You're talking about bringing back your running back, who maybe is a sleeper Heisman candidate, especially if they have a really good year. The tight end looks to be the next in line of this long list of Iowa tight ends. And then you know the offensive line, the same way the defensive line. They're always going to have that solid unit. I think this could be a really good year for Iowa. I think they're going to win their division. And with Indiana, I think you probably look at it and say, yeah, there's there's probably a little bit of reversion here. Like, a lot of times when you have these schools who aren't necessarily known as football schools, and perfect example, Kansas, you have this great year, and then the next year, you're still really good, you bring back some starters, but you lose some key players, and like Michael Penix, even their quarterback, is coming off a season-ending injury last year, and we'll see how rusty or not rusty he is coming into this year, but... Um, I just don't think Indiana is going to be as good as they were last year. They'll still be a good team, and that's their Vegas over under win total. It's seven and a half. So Iowa at home, giving up three points in this situation, I think it probably should be more. I think Iowa covers. I think Iowa makes a statement early on in the year, and I think Iowa is going to have a really, really good year, whereas Indiana, they're ranked 17th. I'm not envisioning they're going to finish in the top 25 come the end of the season. Number 23, Louisiana, is taking on number 21, Texas. If you remember last year, Louisiana went on the road and upset Iowa State in the first game of the year. And then Iowa State still ended up having a pretty good season going to the Big 12 championship game and almost beating Oklahoma a second time. Texas is a team that you hate to bet on when they're a favorite. But who knows? Steve Sarkeesian, new guy in town. I feel like they're kind of tempting you into taking Texas at nine to say, oh, well, they just need to win by 10 or more. But I also think they can cover that. Like, I I mean, Hudson Card was a really highly recruited guy. Bajon Robinson, I think, is going to be unstoppable in this game. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there, has 200 all-purpose yards, and just kind of dominates the game. Now, that could all happen, and it could still be a very close game. And in these kind of situations where Texas has been favored, as I mentioned, they, they haven't really done so well in recent years, but is that a Tom Herman thing? Is that a Texas thing? I guess we'll find out. With Louisiana, obviously a very good team, but given 
that they had that really good year a season ago. The fact that they are ranked in the preseason top 25, and on top of it, they did have that upset against Iowa State. Texas is going to be on high alert here. This isn't a true underdog really anymore. And because of that, I think Texas will be well prepared for this one, and I think Texas is going to cover the nine points. I think they'll end up winning this by a couple scores just because of the talent differential, but this is the one I'm most shaky about just because Texas has done this each and every year. I'll say this, though. You may see Texas ranked at 21st and say, man, this happens every year. They just get randomly ranked. Well, if you look at the end of every year, they're ranked like right around here, so it's it's pretty honestly accurate to have them ranked 21st. That's probably where they're on the year because they'll go like 8-4, and four, and then they'll go to the Alamo Bowl and beat some Pac-12 team. Uh, the last one we have is the game of the week. Number 5, Georgia, taking on number 3, Clemson. I've gone back and forth on this one so many times. Clemson has given up three points. When you look at the defensive lines of both these teams, Georgia and Clemson are going to have elite defensive line units. And I would think that makes things... I mean, obviously, that's going to make things a lot harder on the offenses in general, but in week one especially, when you're still kind of feeling each other out, when the uh, early in the season, defense has the edge over the offense in terms of because there's less almost to prepare for. There's less of the playbook necessarily. You can almost have a base attack, so to speak. Um, Georgia, Clemson, both projected top five defenses because of the front line, and they should have really good players around them as well. The secondaries are interesting. Clemson's was up and down last year, but it was young. Now they're a year older. With Georgia, you had some issues in big-time games, like Florida torched you in the secondary a season ago. Now you bring on Tyke Smith, who's a really good player from West Virginia, but I believe he's out for the game. So you don't get that added boost, and I think that's the big difference here. JT Daniels on offense was a difference maker for Georgia a season ago at quarterback, but There's only so much he can do. He's a pocket passer, and he's a good quarterback. Like I think he's actually better than what they had in like Jake Fromm, but he's not. And who knows? I'll I'll probably be eating my words on this, and he'll end up like winning the Heisman or something. But I don't view him the same way, like the same dynamic way as I view DJ Uyunglele as Clemson, who can be a guy who can just absolutely take over a ball game. And Georgia, going to have a good running game. With Clemson, it's kind of unknown like who are going to be the guys behind ETN, but you know they want to have that staple of kind of the spread running game there. I just Georgia's had some injuries in the passing game. I trust Clemson's, as far as receivers, I trust Clemson's passing game more between Uyunglele and the receivers and the quarterback being able to scramble when the defensive line comes in, whereas if the defensive line comes in on JT Daniels, it's going to be more issues. So I think there's a slight edge to the offense there of Clemson, and when you look at the defenses, they might be about a wash. They should both be really good. But if one defense steps up above the other, I think that team will win. I just I don't want to go against Clemson in a big-time game because they have won so many of those. They've won way more than they've lost of these big-time games. And then the flip side of that is that Georgia has lost way more of these big-time games than they've won. So because of the fact that I view these teams as pretty even, but I slightly like the Clemson passing game a little bit more, and I like Clemson's pedigree in these big games over the last handful of years more than Georgia's, I'm just going to go with the program pick there, and I'm going to take Clemson minus the three points. My lock of the week is actually going to be a game tonight. It's at 8 o'clock, Michigan State taking on Northwestern. It's being played at Northwestern. And Michigan State actually won this game last year. They upset Northwestern. Northwestern was kind of working their way around, I don't know, being like a 
I don't, I don't want to quite say playoff contender because that was never a real thing, but it was it was a pretty big upset, even though they still ended up making it to the Big Ten title game. Michigan State, though, wasn't very good, and I still don't think they're going to be very good this year. Northwestern should be pretty solid. I don't think they'll be as good as they were a season ago, but looking anywhere between six and eight wins. They're only giving up three points in this game. Playing at home, playing for a revenge game, first game of the year, better team. I think they're better coached. I like their coaching situation a little bit more. Northwestern minus three, my lock of the week. We'll see how we do in week one of college football season. So glad that the football season is back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. If you're looking for how I'm going to pick against the spread, the over-under for the KU game, we'll do that in the final hour with Scott Chasen, who joins us at 4.30, live show at Mama's Tamale Shop. But coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour, I am going to head out to Mama's Tamale Shop, but earlier today got a chance to catch up with Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, a member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. So we'll play that for you at the 4 o'clock hour as I head out to Mama's Tamale Shop. Hope to see you there, and uh, hopefully the weather holds up with us for the KU game later tonight. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. All right, so here's the deal. I got to head over to Mama's Tamale Shop. I'm meeting Scott Chase in there. We're going to do the last hour of RCST, which will be 4.30 to 5.30 right here on KLWN at Mama's Tamale Shop. So I got to head out of here. Um, This next half hour, I got to talk to Brandon McAnderson earlier today, who is on the Jayhawk Radio Network. He's the sideline reporter and former... KU Orange Bowl winning running back as well. Talk to BMAC, a lot of KU football. So I'm going to play this interview for you as I skedaddle out of here and head over to Mama's Tamale Shop. Hope to see you. We have a couple KU football tickets to give away as well. BMAC with the first appearance of KU versus another team tonight, not just practicing against each other. What is it you're going to be most excited to see on the field? And you're going to be field level, so you got that little uh, extra, extra vision of everything. What are you most excited to see tonight? Everything. <laughs> no, I, I'm just really excited to see these cats get after it. And uh, I think if you're looking for one specific thing I'm looking for, I'm just looking for some of the things that we've seen in the off season to make its way onto the field. And I mean that by the some of the intangible things that we've seen, you know, guys' bodies improving, you know, even in the interviews, you know, guys dialed in and committed to the new way of doing things. I want to see that on the field. I want to see discipline on the field. I want to see accountability on the field. And I want to see an energetic bunch that, that are rooting for each other. So I, there's some there's some little things that I can see, you know, being on the sidelines and being a former player that I'm really looking forward to seeing just in the way that they compete and the way they communicate with each other. Yeah, the things I'm going to be looking most for are – and honestly, from a KU perspective, you hope that you don't need to go for a lot of fourth downs tonight. But just what the aggressiveness looks like for Lance Leipold. I know he talked about that like a week ago or, or whenever that was um, and how they used the book a little. But it's it's partially um, kind of gut feel, which I think is, is the ideal approach to things, kind of mixing the two. Uh, but how they do that. And I, I think just position-wise, I'm most interested to see what the trenches look like on both ends of the ball. With this new improved offensive line, with Scott Fuchs, the offensive line coach, I think he's going to do a really good job. But I just wonder, it's not just about, you know, the staff had so little time with this new team, but also the offensive line in general is a position that takes some time to mesh and garner some chemistry. So I wouldn't be surprised if like we don't see the best version of the offensive line till at some point in the middle of the season. But if they can look good right away, I think that's a really good sign. 
Absolutely. And I think you're going to see, you know, having a Nowitzki, a guy that's performed so well, and then having a guy like Grunhard, what you're going to get is guys that think the game really well, guys that bring a veteran presence and put them right in the center of the offense, along with a guy like Malik Clark, who's played a ton of football. And then, you know, we talk about a lot about outside zone. I know every article is writing wide zone. I know everybody on Twitter says wide zone, but I refuse. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be the old. I'm going to be the old man and say outside zone. I just loved outside zone as a player. Uh, two of my four touchdowns against Nebraska were outside zone. Um, but you look at a guy like Bostic, who is you know one of the best athletes on the field. If you talk about size, weight, speed, so maybe this is an offense that benefits him more. So I'm excited to see what the fit is for the players themselves as well. Talking with Brandon McAnderson here on RCST. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I think what I'm most interested to see is just, uh, you know, how can you stop the run on first and second down and get to third down? Kyron Johnson moving to a defensive end spot I think is really interesting. He's only 235, so you would think maybe you need a little extra something there to stop the run. But if you can get to those pass rush situations where you can bring in not just extra DBs, but allow Kyron Johnson with that 4-3-8 speed to kind of rush around the edge, that's what I'm kind of most interested to see on the defensive side of the ball. What about you? Yeah, it's a good point about Kyron Johnson. I wouldn't worry about his size so much. That's another benefit of being down on the field. It's like half the teams in the league are playing these small, super-fast guys on the outside. You know, Oklahoma plays a guy like Nick Bonito, who can't be much more than 240. Uh, TCU, both of their guys were under 250. And, you know, those are those were teams that ended up being top-five defenses last season. So, I mean, I understand why that would be a concern to see if he can hold up, but it doesn't seem to be a concern anymore in this league. It seems like if you're athletic enough and you've got the smarts, you can make it happen. Uh, defensively, I'm looking at those corners. And just because they're young, you know, uh, Dotson, I mean, excuse me, Romello Dotson's not a guy we've seen a lot of. I saw a lot of him in camp, but I loved his competitiveness. I loved his ball skills. So I think you're looking at, you know, a group of guys that in that cornerback position that, that have speed, that, that are – down to compete and uh, they're young. So you want to see if these are guys we're going to be rooting for for the next four years or, or whatever the case may be. If there is a lightning delay at some point in the game tonight, how big of an adjustment is that as a player to kind of start, stop, start, stop? It's kind of silly. I mean, I don't know how else to word that. <laughs> you know, I had a, we had a long couple long lightning delays in my career. There's really nothing you can do to prepare for it. And I think when you, you know, it's something that the coaches really stress over. I don't know what the players think of it. To be honest, I can't remember having a single thought about it. <laughs> and I don't know if there was something, you know, it wasn't like we were thinking, man, we can't wait to get back out there. You know, it was like nothing. You know, it was just like part of it. You sat in the locker room um, and you waited until they gave you the word go. And then you went back out there and competed. So it was important that what I remember about us that the coaches were really on edge about it. Stay active. Stay sharp. Yeah, eat a granola bar, you know. <laughs> and the, the players are kind of just sitting around like, okay, we'll play when they tell us to play. So it's one of the things that I think coaches stress over a little bit more than players. Talking with Mac here on KLWN. So South Dakota, what they're bringing into town, is there anything that the Coyotes do on offense that you think could stress the KU defense? This is one of these great unknown things. I think everything is speculation to this point. What I will say is that they play in a good conference and they're going to be a good football team. I mean, that's just just the facts. They're going to be good. They're going to be competitive. And they play in a good football conference. 
if you're looking for the bright side of Kansas on how to match up with South Dakota is that that spring season is like, uh, I mean, it's like a, a blessing because between, you know, between football seasons, a lot can change. But between a spring football situation where you're not using it as an experimental situation, you're actually trying to win and, and putting your best foot forward, there's not going to be a huge difference between what they did in the spring and what they do in the fall. And that's always the big question on the first game of the season is, how different is it going to be? What wrinkles are we going to see? And I think for Kansas' sake, having that recent film is going to paint a pretty good picture of what the Coyotes plan to do. Yeah, and I know there's been a lot of talk that South Dakota has all their starters back from the spring, and I, I don't know what to think of that because that's like saying, hey, KU has whatever, 20 out of 22 starters back from their spring game. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know how we view that. So how much does that experience actually matter when we're only going back less than a full year? I don't think it matters at all. Um, I think that kind of experience thing and returning starters, um, I think people are just using conventional wisdom on that. You know, you got these guys back, they have experience, they've done this before, and there's a lot of truth to that. But I don't know how much it matters when it gets to to the actual game itself. I think there's benefits in preparation, but I don't know what the benefits are on the on the field. They're not going to be completely, completely different players than they were last year, even if they all come back. So, I mean, it's, there's going to be guys that improve. There's going to be guys that stay the same. And then you're going to have to go out there and compete and execute just like you would any other week. I think that the only significance I would put on it is that Kansas gets a really good picture of what the Coyotes plan to do in this game. One thing that I'm also watching for tonight that I didn't bring up earlier is is what the special teams looks like. Because at KU, they've had a lot of special teams units that over the past decade have finished outside of the top, I believe, 85 every year since, I want to say, 2011 or something like that um, in terms of efficiency on special teams on ESPN. And Buffalo last year ranked 41st in the country. Uh, what makes a team have a good special team unit? Is there a recipe for success on that end? I mean, for from my experience, I think the recipe is your best players play special teams. And I think that does two things. One, it, it it increases the importance of it. Because when you're a young player and you're a let's say you're a young wide receiver and it's you know, you're playing behind Kwame Lasseter, he's a you know, a sixty year player, you're playing behind Wilson, guys that are accomplished players. So you're looking behind them, you're like, Yeah, I kinda expect that. But how else can you contribute? You know, you're looking for special teams, how can I get down there and make a tackle? I want to play. I think what it does when your starters play is it makes those snaps more important to people and it makes those snaps more important in your program. You know, Alabama is a team that has unlimited five-star players and four-star players and superstars to to put on the field, and they still put their starters there because that's the buy-in. That's the commitment. That's what teaches the next generation of players the buy-in and the commitment. So what I want to see is I want to see frontline guys competing on special teams. Because, you know, Kansas is not a team that has a ton of talent depth. And, you know, it's something that they're building toward, but it's not there yet. So it's one it's one of those things where I want to see frontline players covering kicks. I want to see frontline players blocking on kick return. And I want to see them compete because that's been one of the hard parts for me. I love special teams. One of the, my favorite parts of my career. And it's just been, I mean, last year was as bad as it gets. That, that Kansas State game where we could not cover a punt. Those are the things that are like really demoralizing, especially when your defense was playing well in that game. You know, Daniels, your young quarterback, did some good things, but the overarching thing was just an inability to punt and cover the punt. 
and it just crumbled the team. So I am hoping upon hoping that those days have passed us, that we will not be an incompetent special teams unit, and I think they're doing the right things to make sure those days are over. Is that the unit that can have the quickest turnaround? Like, the defense, I think, will be better. The offense, I think, will be better. You averaged 15 a game, gave up 46. Like, those things should both improve this year, but I... I don't know. Is it is it harder to improve on those units, offense and defense, like monumentally, than it is maybe on special teams from one year to the next? Yeah, I think it's a, a monumental improvement is about philosophy. It's about changing the way you think about things. Uh, when I was at Kansas, there was always an emphasis on those. We, we changed the names of them. We had presentations for them. We used to call them like the bomb squad or the SWAT team or, you know, all these different things to make to make our program understand this is important. These are not throwaway snaps. You know, this could be your best offensive play some days. You know, you might struggle and not have any big plays. Well, here's a punt that gives you 45 yards. So these are important plays and things that you need to latch on to. And sometimes it's not simply the players. It's the philosophy. It's the commitment. And that's what I'm really, really hoping for. I know this might be like picking your favorite child, but is there a running back specifically that you're most geared up to watch tonight? It's Pesek Hickson. I think that he's his offseason's been amazing. Everything I've heard from him's been amazing. Watching him, you know, you know, he slimmed down, but also somehow gotten bigger. <laughs> he just slimmed down and gotten stronger in the right places. You know, he's a guy that's a big time weight room guy. He's a local guy. He's a he's a guy that with his one opportunity did as about as good as you could expect. And I think when you have a 230-pound guy that has the type of athleticism and top-end speed that he has, he's an ideal person uh, for an outside zone scheme just because he's got the speed to get the edge. And then when you get there, he's 230 pounds, so good luck. <laughs> so he's, he's definitely the guy I'm uh, most interested and most excited to watch. And then I put my, my chesty line as my 1B, uh, Devin Neal, who has a lot of those same characteristics, a 220-pound speedster. Uh, who's rocked up. You know, freshmen aren't usually rocked up like this cat. So I'm looking forward to watching both of those guys. Scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you that you don't have to answer any more questions about, hey, who's the starting quarterback? Oh, I don't care, but I never answer those questions anyway. I always <laughs> give some kind of diplomatic answer. <laughs> so one of those things where it's like, you know, I know why it's an important thing in Kansas because it's it's the position that can fast forward you. It's the position that can you know, cover up some of your weaknesses. And that's a position that's not been good for us uh, consistently at all uh, since we had Todd Reeson. So I know that this fan base is begging, you know, for uh, for someone, for a mainstay. And I don't even know if you're begging for a, a savior as much as you're just begging for consistent play. So I think that's why it's such a frustrating thing. I just look forward to seeing, you know, who takes that job and, and who's ready to lead the team. Talking with Brandon McAnderson here on a Friday on RCST. All right, let's get on to the game picks. Last week was the preseason. That was the warm-up. Are you ready for the first real week of action? Completely ready. I've been crunching the numbers all week. Ooh. Uh, no, I haven't oh. been. Uh, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wing it and do well. All right, we got five ranked matchups this week. Number 19, Penn State. At number 12, Wisconsin. The Badgers are giving up five and a half. Are you finding it really hard to think about the Big Ten based on last season? Since it was such an abbreviated thing that seemed rushed. Yes. And teams just seemed so out of whack. I don't even remember if, if any of that stuff's significant. You know, Penn State struggled so bad, but who knows if they were bad or they were just in that weird situation. Um, but Wisconsin's quarterbacks from Kansas, so I'll go with them. Number one, Alabama playing number 14, Miami in the Chick-fil-A kickoff. 
Alabama by a billion until further notice. <laughs> Yeah, what I don't even know what the number though would be too large. I'd probably just take Alabama and say, "Oh, they know something and Alabama's that good." Uh Right. No, <laughs> how could you even question it? Number 17 Indiana, another weird Big 12, Big 10 one. Uh number 17 Indiana at number 18 Iowa, minus 3 points. And this is a, this is a huge game because I know both of these, you know, Indiana's trying to build on what they built on last year. And Iowa's getting a lot of buzz as a potential uh player championship representative, but I liked what Indiana did last year, and I'm kind of rooting for them to sustain it. Number 23, Louisiana. Can they pick off another Big 12 team to start the year? They're at number 21, Texas, who's given up nine points. Hmm. I mean, they're obviously going to be good enough, but I'm going to I'm gonna bank on Sarkeesian's, uh, you know, him being amplified by his saving experience and say Texas covers. My last one. This is the game of the week. Number five, Georgia, taking on number three, Clemson. Mm. Another one where you know Georgia had that late quarterback situation. I don't know if that means that they were not good or I don't know. But I'm going to go with Clemson because Clemson, you know, you know, has a quarterback that we've seen be successful. So I'm going to go Clemson. It's funny because basically whoever wins that game, you're basically just saying, hey, we're in the playoff because we basically have one free loss by winning this game. Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, this is the hardest part about this whole process is, you know, projecting teams to be ranked that you have not seen play, that you're basing on roster expectations, potential player growth. But what it really does is it just creates bias, you know, you know, there's a possibility that Clemson and Georgia aren't any good. But if you look at every poll and every expert, they're like, Georgia's going to be a playoff contender. <laughs> based on what? You know, based on the talent on the roster? I mean, who knows how these things work out? I just think it's unfortunate that these early predictions have such a big impact on the final outcome. Um, so I'm rooting for chaos. He is Brandon McAnderson. You can hear him tonight on the call on the sidelines for the Jayhawk Radio Network, former Orange Bowl winning running back. BMAC, thank you so much for the time. Good luck tonight, and uh, hopefully next week we're talking about a first-week dub. Yes, sir. Rock talk. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, joining us earlier. Again, this is pre-recorded right now. I'm on my way out to Mama's Tamale Shop because I'm going to be there with Scott Chasen 4.30 to 5.30. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. To the final hour of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. No different really than what you've been experiencing, but a little different as well. I'm out live with Scott Chasen at Mama's Tamale Shop. And uh, yeah, come on by. It's 285 empanadas all day here at Mama's Tamale Shop. I actually have I thought I was only going to have two pairs of KU tickets. I have four pairs of KU tickets. So come on by, and I will just give you tickets if you just come by and compliment Scott. I don't know. What, what's a good compliment for you, Scott? Um, a good compliment is that I know how to spell, unlike you, which when you sent out the tweet earlier today may have mixed up a few words. But it's okay. You're a radio guy. I'm here as the writer, editor, whatever. And so I think this will be a great partnership, Derek. I didn't want you to come on here being my English teacher, though. Yeah. Well, maybe not English, maybe more spelling, but, you know, I guess it's the same thing. Okay, so come out. Mama's Tamale Shop. It's at 602. I don't even know. There's a 602 on it. But we're over on uh, 9th Street. 9th in Louisiana is the official. It's, it's right by before going into the game. they got four different flavors of margaritas, all the different food as well. The reason we're here, KU football starting up the season, taking on South Dakota tonight at 7 o'clock. Right now, looks like the weather is going to hold off, mm-hmm. hopefully. Knock on wood that 
that occurs, and I mean, the most notable thing that happened today heading into the game, Jason Bean, there's going to be a starting quarterback. Yeah, you know, I, I would only challenge that in slight because I do think the weather <laughs> after, what well, one of the games yesterday that went until like 2 a.m. or something like that, but no, Jason Bean, uh, I think it's very exciting. I think, um, Derek, you asked Lance Leipold a couple of questions looking back just about his quarterback use and the quarterback battle. And I really think, looking back, the answers he gave at the time, and this was about three weeks ago, uh, kind of previewed what was going on, right? Like, we saw Miles Kendrick going out. It appeared to us he was in first at the time, certainly getting reps with the ones. Jason Bean was the third-string quarterback. He wasn't working with any of the ones in KU's open practice uh, that you could have been at basically the whole time if you were a fan, if you were media, if you were anyone. Um, and, and to see, and to, first to listen to Lance Leipold say, he wanted to give everyone a chance that if they could catch the guy in first, that they would get that chance and that this race would continue to go and go. I, I think he wanted to give Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels every chance to catch up. I think Jason Bean has done that, and I think that's why he's the starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, and when I asked Lance Leipel one of the questions, he mentioned, you know, we might be open to using a guy mm -hmm. in a certain formation. I felt like, and I, I don't know if you felt the same way, that that was almost in reference to Jason Bean because yeah. it's like, why would you – you know, what are you getting really more out of Jalen Daniels and Miles Kendrick? Like a stronger arm. You, you don't use a stronger arm quarterback and have certain formations for that. You use certain formations, use a running quarterback. Yeah. But now that Jason Bean is the starter, I don't really envision that happening, but I still wouldn't be surprised tonight if we see multiple quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked, but but I got the sense talking to Lance Leipold really throughout fall camp that the ideal situation is that whoever the starting quarterback was, in this case we now know it's uh, Jason Bean, that they're going to go out and just completely establish that, hey, I am the guy. You know, um, Lance Leipold a couple of times has kind of, uh, I don't know if shirked is the right word, he, he has not liked the idea of a quarterback rotation. He said more what you just alluded to. He'd rather have a package for a very specific game scenario that you're going to throw a guy into. But again... But it won't be fourth down in overtime, right? <laughs> yeah, third down in overtime. <laughs> yeah, Let's give David Beatty some credit on that one. <laughs> um, I hope anyone got that reference before I said the, the coach who you were referencing. But again, wouldn't it'd be Jason Bean who would be that guy that you would do that different package for because, you know, he's got a strong arm. He's got the ability to throw it down the field. Obviously, he can run. You're not going to do, like, a, a slower package with Miles Kendrick, or you're not going to do, you know, maybe you do something. <laughs> Slow-mo package. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you do something with Jalen Daniels. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think he's got a lot of talent. He's had some availability issues in camp. Lance Leipold has spoken to that. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested to see how they handle the quarterbacks. I definitely think it's something we'll be watching today, but – uh, good for Jason Bean. Think about his transition. He wasn't on campus in the spring. You know, every single player in the KU roster is learning a new coaching staff. He's learning a new coaching staff, new teammates. No one else transferred him from North Texas. Emmett Jones was the coach who recruited him. Uh, his offense that he was recruited to play in was the Mike DeBoard offense. So everything is different now for him. Uh, and for him to be able to win the job, that, that has to give you some, some promise and some hope. It tells you he did something right. All right, here is Lance Leipold looking at the outlook of this first game. This is what he said earlier this week. All the above, I guess. You know, if, if you could have it, it's right. You know, I, uh, there's, I guess there's still unknowns, you know, obviously, to see, see how guys produce in game situations, how we handle adversity, how we handle success, all the things. I want to see us playing hard and straining and give good, great effort, and, and, and no matter what the score is, and uh, – 
is that we're going to compete hard no matter who's on who's on the field. And uh, those are kind of the things that all the things that we've been trying to instill from the summer all the way through, we're, we're going to continue to do. And now you get to see it in, in front of people and, 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 and really be in live football. All right, that was Lance Leipold with the outlook on the first game. I'm with Scott Chasen, Derek Johnson here, Richie Boswell back in studio. We're out live, not just here for RCST, our sister station 105.9 KISS with the KISS crew out here giving away some free goodies with our prize wheel at Mama's Tamale Shop. Come on out. We have our live show from 4.30 to 5.30 here for RCST. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back live at Mama's Tamale Shop with Scott Chasen. I'm Derek Johnson here on... RCST, the final hour of the show. Normally, this will just be a pregame before the pregame, which will start at 5.30, an hour and a half before kickoff. So you can hear the whole game, KLWN, right here. All right, so Lance Leipold talked about his opinion on South Dakota, and he uh, kind of had an interesting comment at the end. Here is Leipold's opinion on the Coyotes. they got 21 returning starters. They've got all their returning specialists. They're well-coached. Um, Got a, got a couple young quarterbacks that played last year. I, I didn't watch in the film. I didn't even look the first time. No, the guy was a freshman. Now everybody gets the year back. But to see the composure and all the things in, in a season and that, like everybody went through, uh, you know, again, and most of you know the Missouri Valley Football Conference for an FCS program is uh, an excellent football conference, very competitive. Like I said, and uh, in, in that whole league is a I said when I was at Buffalo, I said we're not scheduling Missouri Valley schools. Okay, I just flat out said it. we're not we're not scheduling them. Yeah, you know, Derek, when, when I heard that comment at first, I I kind of chuckled. Admittedly, you know, having a, an NFCF uh, conference that you're the SEC to. of the FCS. But I mean, they actually are yeah, when you yeah. when you look at the teams in there, especially you know you talk about a Big Twelve tie, North Dakota State, Chris Kleiman, all that stuff. So. Uh, no, look, I think there's nothing coaches love more, especially Lance Leipold, than continuity. And, and obviously good continuity. You know, if you're bringing back players you don't think uh, can play, then you're not going to be happy. But um, that, that was the first thing he spoke about, right? It wasn't, this guy is electric, I like their quarterback. It, it wasn't any of that stuff. It was, they bring back all these starters, especially specialists. You know, that's something coaches care about. Uh, for these games, when you play FCS opponents... The biggest thing in, in my eye is, are you going to make the mistakes that get you beat, or are you going to force the other team essentially to? And, and when that other team doesn't, you have to go out and beat them and play better than them. We've seen that be problematic for Kansas in the past, losing a couple of FCS games in the last six years. Um, to me, that's Lance Leipold's way of saying, this team probably won't make many mistakes. Kansas is actually going to have to go out and beat them. Well, South Dakota went just one and three last season. They did have the benefit of playing in the spring, yep. which Kansas didn't really have with the new head coach. How, how much do you think that matters, not getting to play that ball with Lance Leipold? Because everything that we're assuming with a better coach team, better X's and O's, better game plan, better game management, yeah, all of those are kind of under the assumption that, you know, there's a good continuity between the coaching staff and the players how much of that do you think can happen right away even without them being there for the spring well i i think it matters i think we'll, what we'll see probably matters a little bit more is the fact that south dakota got to play in the spring right i mean we don't really have much of a sample for what that looks like how that helps uh, i would expect that to, to really help them continuity wise just like you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily crushing for Kansas because Kansas players did get a spring, and they not only got a spring with some coaches who are still on staff, five of them in the assistants at least. 
Uh, but they got a spring with competent coaches who helped develop their individual skills, even if it wasn't scheme stuff. And then they were able to kind of hit the ground running going into the summer, especially bringing in six players transferring over from Buffalo, which I think really helped in terms of having those player-led practices and, and kind of setting a culture and a tone. So again, I, I think it probably hurts not having the spring with the staff. I think it gives you more potential for a big jump in year two. But unlike last year, uh, where you know Kansas was clearly, clearly hurt because you're working in so many moving parts, including a, a true freshman quarterback at one point, a 17-year-old quarterback, um, I think that probably hurt more than it will this time around. I expect Kansas to be better prepared for the first game. Yep, South Dakota did have one win last year, and that win was against a top-10 team mm-hmm. in the FCS, so we'll see what that means. The year before, they were 5-7, and seven, and they have a, a litany of players who were all Missouri Valley Conference either last year or the year yep. before who are back. The quarterback is returning. He was a true freshman in the spring. Now mm-hmm. he's back for what is basically his second freshman season for South Dakota Um, and overall was doing some digging earlier on the show seems like they struggle a little bit against the running game seems like they could be able to move the ball a little bit in the air on this uh, Kansas defense is there anything that sticks out to you about South Dakota what they're going to do well that you would be most concerned about from a Kansas perspective yeah well for one I'm just interested to see does it actually look like Kansas's players are a step up in athleticism competition all that I mean this was a team that got you know it, it Again, has continuity, has that experience, but it didn't get any votes in any of the FCS polls. It wasn't even, you know, well, they weren't top 25, but they were getting a few votes. No, they, they weren't getting votes, so they have things to prove. Carson Camp, their quarterback, I'm interested to see him. You mentioned a, a two-star guy coming out of high school. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> I just realized, Scott, we have a battle of Camp and Bean, at quarterback. Okay. You eat beans when you're at a campfire? I'm, I'm not surprised you just realized that because I'm struggling <laughs> to see the connection. But uh, Travis Tice is the, uh, what, Pratt Kansas running back? Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see him too. It sounds like he has a similar game uh, almost to a Daniel Highshaw to an extent. Now, I don't expect Highshaw to play for Kansas today. Um, but always interested to see Kansas guys get to return, come, bla- uh, come back and play Kansas. Um, for them, I, I think their defensive line is probably one of the biggest question marks. Uh, that's at least something I've seen. I think Kansas should have success. Um, if there's any semblance of kind of understanding the wide zone or outside zone, as BMAC <laughs> wants to call it. You know, I, I've talked to some people who swear they're completely different things. They don't like when you say one or mean the other. I don't know. Uh, the KU staff, funny enough, uh, they've said both. But, yeah, I, I'm interested to see their offense. I'm interested to see Tice, like I said, uh, see how he moves the ball on the ground. But, yeah, Kansas should have the talent advan- and advantage. And, uh, yeah, I expect the Jayhawks to be able to at least handle the trenches. I, th- I think that's an area where Kansas needs to assert some dominance. All right, let's get to our top three storylines each. I'll let you go first. What is the storyline you're going to be paying most attention to tonight? Well, uh, quarterbacks was going to be my first one, but now, (laughs) you know, we've got at least one answer there, so let me switch it up. Uh, I want to know if this Kansas offensive line is going to be Big 12 caliber. Now, uh, last year, Kansas allowed 5.2 sacks per game, dead last in the nation, one of the worst marks uh, in the history of FBS football. The difference between KU at 127th and Syracuse at 118th was the same as the difference between Syracuse, again, at 118th, and Clemson at 32, okay? So Kansas could improve by two sacks allowed per game and still rank outside the top 110 in the country. But that you, you're splitting hairs when you're saying, well, they allowed 2.8 sacks per game versus they allowed 3.1. You know, it, it's all more or less the same thing. It might be a sack or two, you know, over the course of six weeks. What Kansas can't have is five sacks allowed per game, is the offensive coordinator coming out and making a comment like happened last year that you can't run, you can't pass, you're trying to find a third way to move the ball. <laughs> like that, that was a, a very real frustration for KU. 
Think back to the Oklahoma game, Jalen Daniels sacked nine times. He got injured in that game on a play where both his left tackle and right tackle got blown by. To me, number one storyline is the offensive line. For me, I am really interested. This probably isn't the number one storyline of what's going to determine the game, but just Mm -hmm. what I'm interested in is how split the running back carries are going to be. They're going to run the ball a lot. To what extent? I don't know. Are they going to get 40, 50 carries in the game? Who knows? Um, Right now, Devin Neal's not listed on the two deep. Yeah for KU, but I still think he's going to play a pretty visible role. And Amori Pesek-Hickson, I really like what he showed at the end of last year. I also uh, am really interested to see what Velton Gardner looks like. I can see him busting off you know, a long 70, 80-yard touchdown run. Mm-hmm. He has that explosiveness in him. So how split the running back carries are going to be? Is it going to be kind of a three-headed monster where they all get similar touches, or is it going to be something more similar to what you've seen at Buffalo a lot of the years where there's been that one feature back? Yeah, well, I, I definitely think Devin Neal will play. I definitely think that's a, a good pick as the storyline and, and kind of, con, you know, in, in conjunction, complementary uh, with the offensive line one. Uh, second thing I'm looking at, quarterbacks, how many, when do they play, is Jason Bean the guy? I mean, it's a pretty simple one, but, you know, he, he was playing at North Texas. He had some success. Now, the accuracy was an issue, inconsistencies at times, but what do you have, 19 touchdowns to five interceptions, 14 of those were passing touchdowns. He's got to play like he's he's – you know, the best quarterback on the field and one of the best players uh, on either team. If he does that, I think Kansas fans will be happy. All right, fan attendance. This is storyline number two for me. What do you think you would put the over-under at for people in attendance? I ha- With 20, COVID, 000? I have no clue. Like, That's, just yeah. the COVID era, I have no idea. COVID, no idea. It's a Friday night, right? So, I mean, it's a little easier when you have all day off Saturday mm-hmm. to contribute a day. Um, the weather? It's a little tougher. The weather? Yeah. I don't know. I But also, I think there is excitement for mm-hmm. Lance Leipold. I think there is excitement now that Jason Bean's been named. I'm honestly a little surprised that, and who knows, maybe they didn't come to the decision till today, yeah. but that they didn't announce if it was going to be Jason Bean a few days ago to get even more hype kind of building up to it. Yeah, I, I think they would have, and I've said this before on your show. It, if Jason Bean were the clear runaway quarterback three weeks ago, Jason Bean would have been announced as the quarterback three weeks ago. I think once this thing went the distance, they said, all right, you got to see this thing through now and, and wait and wait and wait and, or whatever. But, um, yeah, I do think that was an indicator he emerged late. Piggyback offing really all of this, I guess, except the fans. But um, <laughs> my third storyline was how prepared does Kansas look, right? Mm-hmm. We saw at times the David Beatty era, even Les Miles era to an extent, just mistakes you can't have, game management, substitution issues, fourth downs, having a delay of game on the first play of a season, which to me is <laughs> still the most unbelievable thing I've ever covered. I mean, you had a whole offseason to plan that first play. And we need to do a top ten list of David Beatty moments. Yeah. And not many of them would be positive, but uh, how prepared does Kansas look? I, I think the Lance Leipold staff has a big uh, kind of eye for attention to detail. I think that's one for me. Okay, last one for me. How improved will the special teams be? Hope You would hope it is improved if you're KU because it was just 121st in special team efficiency according to ESPN a season ago. Kansas hasn't finished better than a top third offense in the Big 12. Same for defense. You can improve. There's no reason you can't from being one of the worst special teams team to being one of the, I don't know, top third, top quarter of the NCAA, be top 30 in the country. And that's a way to steal maybe a win. That's a way to make games more competitive. How good is the special teams going to be against the South Dakota team? That was actually pretty solid in special teams by the FCS. (laughs) 
Welcome back in. We're live at Mama's Molly Shop with Scott Jason. I'm Derek Johnson here on KLWN. Come on out. 285 empanadas, four different flavors of margaritas. I also love the street tacos here, but mm-hmm. everything you get here is great. And we're over on 9th and Louisiana, so it's right before you head into the stadium. We also have tickets. If you don't have tickets yet, just come over, and I will give you free tickets. That's right, free KU football tickets for the season opener. See the possible first win. Who knows for Lance Leipold. Who is selling, Derek? Who knows? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, players to watch in this game. Uh, do you want to do a little draft here? Do you want to go back and forth, each take a player to watch? Well, why don't we just list ours off, because I, okay. I think a couple of mine may work in conjunction, too. So why don't you start with yours? Okay, uh, the first guy that I'm curious to see is Kyron Johnson. Um, first of all, you need to get into situations that get him to a pass rush situation, because I think he'll be the best pass rusher on the team and be able to take advantage of that against South Dakota. Be able to get in passing downs, not just because that makes you more successful defense, but it allows him to succeed and thrive in this defense, moving to the defensive end position. So it's a new position. I think it's a position that's going to unlock him. I think it's going to be his best position that he's played in college. He was a safety. He was a linebacker. Now he's a defensive end. I think this is going to work for him, and I'm excited to see what it looks like tonight. Yeah, Kyron Johnson, a player that you know because this has been your story and, and the, uh, the drum you've been beating all throughout fall camp, wants to be a... Yeah, brain surgeon. A brain surgeon. You don't surgeon. see that a lot from football players. <laughs> yeah, and wants to have his own practice, wants to be an entrepreneur <laughs> like that. Uh, no, look, I, I think Kyron Johnson, everyone knows good speed, electric personality, great athleticism. Uh, I think he has a lot to prove. You know, I, I shared a conversation with him where we just talked about the NFL, uh, and he said he knows they're going to put him at outside linebacker because he's not huge like a defensive lineman, but he wants to play everything. He wants to play D-line, linebacker. He thinks he can play safety. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the, the skill set when the ball is in the air is, but it would be terrifying to be running over the middle of the field and you got Kyron Johnson bearing down on you. So, yeah, I, I think he's a great player to watch. watch. I think it makes sense, and it, it'll be interesting to see how maybe it changes for him once he has that singular focus on rushing after the quarterback. He will drop back at times, but his main focus is going to be getting into the backfield and, and making a making a mess of things basically back there. I think that'll be something he's well-suited for. Okay, the next guy I have, or do you want to go? All right, I'll, I'll go, okay. and, and I'll give my defensive one, which is Gavin Potter. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think Gavin Potter may have surprised some people just in terms of being named the starter inside linebacker position. He's a guy that's bounced sort of back and forth, inside, outside, you know, where are they going to put him? Uh, but, when you know, we had uh, the chance to talk to a bunch of players, like 16 or so at KU Football Media Day, and I, I asked a bunch of them, what's the first word that you think of with Gavin Potter? And the word that kept coming up was smart and, and just understanding uh, the defense and, and high IQ and all those things. Um, I think the JRX are very happy with how he's kind of taken to this Brian Borland defense. I think they trust him to make checks. That's part of why uh, he earned that starting spot, and it allows them to move Rich Miller around to the outside position. So very curious to see what Gavin Potter brings. Yeah, I like that one as well, and that linebacker position was kind of a slog last year yeah. for Kansas. So if they get more out of it, that's a nice boon for them. All right, let's go to the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to go on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Earl Bostick, Jr., KU's offensive line, and specifically in blocking for uh, passing situations, was not a good situation. You mentioned the sacks that they allowed all of last season, mm-hmm. and uh, Malik Clark at the left tackle spot, if you go look at Pro Football Focus, he had a zero pass blocking mm-hmm. grade, which... Not great. I think Malik Clark will be better suited to play left guard, yeah. and that means you have to have somebody else at left tackle. Well, enter Earl Bostick Jr., a guy who he did log snaps last year, so he's not a newcomer, but uh, seems to be one of the best offensive linemen on the team. Definitely 
I don't know. I'd probably say he's probably the, the top returning offensive lineman, like if you're not counting a guy like Mike Nowitzki coming into the program. Um, but he's going to have to fortify that left side for you to see improvement as a passing team, and I think uh, you will see an improvement from what you got last year. Yeah, and, and just to piggyback off that, the player I chose, Mike Nowitzki, who you just mentioned, because how, how much can he elevate the line? You know, uh, we've seen Colin Grunhard might have had some availability, uh, availability issue as fall camp went on, maybe an ankle issue there. Michael Ford, he was kind of in and out of things during fall camp. Is he ready to go? But, but Mike Nowitzki has been so solid for this team. I mean, if they opened it up and made it a competition at center, it would have taken him 10 minutes uh, to earn that spot. He's one of the top five-ranked centers per pro football focus uh, just returning this year. So I think high hopes for him. The third player I had, I, I mentioned, too, that worked in conjunction. The other one is Velton Gardner because I think Velton Gardner is so well-suited to the running style of, you know, kind of go wide, pick your spot, put your foot in the ground, and take off. You know, we saw as a freshman that Velton Gardner had that big playability, the chance to make one cut and just make guys miss all over the field. Go back and watch that long touchdown run he had against TCU, where I think he met a safety in open field and just absolutely uh, demolished the guy. It was like an Allison I uh, Allen Iverson crossover, if that's the way to say it. Um, yeah, I, I think Velton Gardner, really curious to see how he takes to the system. Mike Nowitzki, curious how he leads that offensive system. The two of them together, very interested to see on both. Yeah, I like that one as well. Um, the last one I'm going to go with, I'll stick with the offense. Another explosive guy like Velton Gardner, Trevor Wilson. And the receiver, I, I think he can be a difference maker. When you look at the receivers that are currently on the roster for KU, or the guys who are returning, I don't know as much about necessarily the incoming freshmen, but when you look at guys like Kwame Lasseter, when you look at guys like LJ Arnold, Luke Grimm, those aren't guys that are going to blow the top off the defense. And Trevor Wilson is that guy. He is that difference maker receiver. I don't think he's going to be used as much for the short and intermediate routes, mm -hmm. but you're going to see him go for a lot of you know skinny posts or long balls that can stretch that defense, open things up for other players. But also I wouldn't be surprised if he hits a big play tonight because of the fact that you're going to have that. And he is also a guy that could be used on special teams. We might see him in punt return. And if he gets out in the open field, that's the other thing he'll be used in, bubble mm -hmm. screens as well. Get him in the open field, let him run loose with the speed. I, I think he'll have maybe more fun playing some of these early games where he is just the, like you mentioned, hey, line up out wide and to just run straight and see if you can beat every other player on the field to the end zone because he can't. I mean, I told him this, he laughed, but at the open practice he had a punt return for a touchdown and guys aren't going full speed, but no one got a hand on him. And I was like, man, you play Tecmo Bowl? You look like Bo Jackson out there. And he said, no, he plays Madden. A little Madden. smaller, though. Yeah, yeah. of course, he, he plays Madden, though, so no Tecmo Bowl. Mm. But I'm not saying he's going to do that every time. I think punt returns are hard to come by, especially it seems like teams are really good about punt coverage, especially in the Big 12. Kansas is not always in the best position to kind of return a punt with a lot of field to work with. Very few stops for the other team is backed up. But I think, yeah, definitely a chance for him to do some things and impress this year. He is Scott Jason. I'm Derek Johnson. Richie Boswell back in studio. Come on out. We're going to be out here for another half hour. The Kiss Crew will be out here for another hour and a half at Mama's Tamale Shop. You might just be getting off work here at 5 o'clock. we still got KU football tickets for you. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Welcome back in. Scott Jason. I'm Derek Johnson. Richie Boswell. We're at Mama's Tamale Shop. Great food. Great drink. We got KU football tickets to give away, so stop by, say hi, and I will just give them to you. It's that simple. Okay, there are other games going on this weekend as well, so we are going to give you our 10 
college football games. We're going to give you picks. We're not picking against the spread. Mm-hmm. We're going college, college game day style. They can yes. get away with it, so so can we. Yes, we are the same as them. We make the same as them. We're <laughs> at the same national exposure as them. We're going to pick the games the same as them. Richie's going to come out here at the end for the game of the week pick and put on a mascot head and uh, <laughs> run around. Okay, number 19, Penn State, at number 12, Wisconsin. I, I like Wisconsin in this one. Of course, Graham Mertz, there's kind of a local tie. I think injuries, COVID issues kind of derailed uh, what Wisconsin was building offensively last year. Curious to see about their run game. They have Jalen Berger there. He was a 2020 top 150 recruit. He led them in rushing uh, by exactly one yard last year. So we'll see. We'll see if he takes the next step. Uh, I like Wisconsin, but this should be a great game. That is a great last name for a Wisconsin running back, yeah, Berger. Of yeah, I mean, that'd uh, be better if it was a lineman, but that'll do. <laughs> I'm going to go with Penn State, actually. Uh, both these teams had weird years with the COVID, and Penn State started 0 5. They won their last four, so they finished the season kind of hot. I think they got things figured back out again for this year. Wisconsin, Graham Mertz was really good in his first start. I mean, dominant in his first start, and then he struggled. A little bit after that. Um, But I I think Penn State's going to be back to what we've been used to them before this past season. And I think Penn State getting five and a half. I I really like that bet overall. But I'm going to go with Penn State straight up as well. Number one, Alabama taking on number 14, Miami in the Chick-fil-A kickoff. Look, uh, this will be a fun matchup of quarterbacks. One more known than the other. But, uh, you know, Bryce Young at Alabama, I didn't realize this. Number 20 ranked recruit of all time in the 24-7 sports really? composite. Uh, number one uh, top 24-7 player in 2020. So the 24-7 sports staff ranking. Uh, a lot of lot of buzz, a lot of hype coming into this one. I, I'm excited to see Alabama, what they look like in this post uh, Death Star era of Alabama that I guess was last year. It was like maybe it was like the second Death Star it was so much better than the other Death Star that was still amazing. But um, uh, yeah, I, I'll take Alabama in this one. I'm guessing we're on uh, on the same wavelength. Yeah, I'm not going to go against Alabama just in general, but especially Alabama <laughs> in Week One. They always play good teams, top 25 teams, yeah. and they always seem to beat them pretty easily. And you know, I feel bad for Derek King. You're coming off an ACL injury, and your first game is against Alabama. If Bryce Young though doesn't perform well. Is he going to lose any of that NIL money? Isn't he making like seven <laughs> figures, something like that? Oh, man. All right, number 17, Indiana. At number 18, Iowa. Big Ten matchup. Yeah. Iowa or Indiana, who are you going with? I, I flipped on this from what I told you earlier. I'm going to take Indiana. Uh, okay. I, I like what they're building. They had a good record last year, 6-2. and two. I think they have great talent at wide receiver. Quarterback coming off an ACL tear. He's fielded questions basically all offseason. Spencer Petras, uh, basically, are you healthy? And the latest stories, I, I think he's just tired of answering it. He's like, yes, I am. I'm ready to go. I think that dude comes out fired up. Um, uh, excuse me, Spencer Petras at Iowa, not Indiana. Um, uh, but regardless, uh, I, I like Indiana in this one. I, I think they have the weapons, especially at wide receiver, that I, I think they're going to cause Iowa some problems. I don't think Iowa can match. Indiana out Deanna. They are not <laughs> winning this game. Iowa is going to be really good this season. They're a playoff dark horse. I really like Every year they seem to have really good linemen, and this year they have a lot back outside of the linemen, so I'm going to go with Iowa on this yeah. one. I, I flipped quarterbacks' names in my notes, so I don't get yeah, to make Michael fun Penix. of I don't get to make fun of how bad your joke was. But if I hadn't messed that up, I would be making fun of how bad that joke was. But you can't. I can't. So, though. Uh, number twenty-three, Louisiana, yeah. at number twenty-one, Texas. 
Richie, our board op, is a Texas fan. How disappointed is he going to be tomorrow? Well, Texas is back, so I guess not. Hey, I, I wanted to point this out. Texas's recruiting rankings in recent years, number 15 uh, this year, number 8 in 2020, number 3 in 2019, number 3 in 2018. If you have a decent coach and you bring in that talent and it gels correctly, you've got to win a lot of games. Interested to see Hudson Card? Uh, I think he's a good off-platform throw kind of guy. Really interested to see this Texas team. So uh, no Sam Ellinger, much to the relief of Kansas City star columnist Sam Mellinger. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going with Texas here. I'm going Texas as well. But John Robinson, I think, is going to put on a show. Uh, I think he's going to end up in New York at the end of the year. I think he's going to be there for the Heisman. I don't know if he's going to win it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I gave my Heisman pick yesterday, but I think he's going to go. And Texas wins this one. It's a lot harder for Louisiana to surprise another team after what they did last year as Mm -hmm. well. Number five, Georgia against number three, Clemson. This is the game of the week. Yeah, well, I I hope I'm pronouncing uh, the name of the quarterback right. JT Daniels? I <laughs> uh, won't even try on Clemson's side. But look, DG, look. DJ, uh, DJ Ui Unga Lale. Yes, I like that you mispronounced DJ, which is know, what right? many have called you. It's my uh, literal initials. Yes, but uh, I'm really interested to see what JT Daniels does. I think ESPN ranked him number eight as quarterbacks in the nation, right ahead of Clemson's uh, at number nine. So I think decent skill positions. Uh, I think this is a chance where it can all come together. I actually like Georgia in this game, but I think this, I mean, this is obviously the game the week i think everyone wants to see how this one's gonna go i am gonna go with clemson and i was talking about this earlier i don't really know who the better team is to be honest they're so similar in so many ways i just am gonna go with at that point go with the program clemson has won so many big games and what has been the biggest knock against georgia they're not winning the big game so i will go with clemson in this one number 16 lsu at ucla i'm taking lsu in this one i think lsu is great at defensive back in the winter they were planning on like 20 of 2020 20 of 22 starters being back. I don't know if that ended up entirely being the case, but they're number 26 in SP+. Uh, They have a little bit of a question at the quarterback spot after an injury to Miles Brennan, but uh, I'm still going with LSU in this one. I'm going to go with UCLA. I think there's something to the fact of a team who plays a week before somebody else plays. We saw that last year big time with COVID. And remember, the Sun Belt played a week before, and then you had three Sun Belt teams beat Big 12 teams, and that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. UCLA played last week. They looked good against Hawaii. I'm still not all in that LSU is fully turned around. Mm-hmm. I think Chip Kelly has it right at UCLA, and I'm going to go with the Bruins for the upset there. Mm-hmm. Number nine, Notre Dame is at Florida State. Irish or the Seminoles, this is on Sunday. Well, I mentioned recruiting rankings. Notre Dame, three top ten recruiting classes in the last five years, their last class outside the top 20, 2005. Uh, I like Notre Dame in this one. Give me the Fighting Irish. Give me Notre Dame as well. It's only a seven-point line, which I thought was a little smaller. I do think Florida State is going to start to see success under Mike Norvell, who's – I, I like the hire when he came over from Memphis, mm-hmm. but I'll go Notre Dame here. Texas Tech taking on Houston. This is on a neutral site field in Texas. Uh, I'm Big going, 12 showdown, by the way. <laughs> Big 12, future Big 12 showdown. Yeah. Uh, I, apparently, Houston's wearing awesome uniforms, which makes me hate my pick, which is Texas <laughs> Tech. I want to see what Tyler Shuck brings, uh, the, the Oregon transfer quarterback at Texas Tech. Uh, decent numbers last year. Let's see what he does in Lubbock. I'm excited. Shuck is interesting because he started really hot for Oregon, then tanked so yeah. much so that he got benched for Anthony Brown, who KU blew out Anthony <laughs> Brown. And Shuck was a guy, like, if you look at early preseason mock drafts, He'll pop up in the first round, and I'm confused by that because I didn't think he was that good. So I'm fading Tyler Shuck. (laughs) Houston, 
gets their first Big 12 win of the year. Stanford <laughs> taking on Kansas State. I believe this one's a Jerry World. K-State or Stanford? Who are you going with? Well, uh, look, you picked the Pac-12 team over the SEC team, and uh, for the second time, I'm going to pick against the Pac-12 team, and I'm, I'm going to go with Kansas State. Skylar Thompson is back for, I believe, his 18th year of college. Dude, <laughs> Vaughn is back for what next year will feel like his 18th year of college, and Phillip Brooks is back, much to the chagrin of any single person who likes Kansas or has ever liked Kansas who watched the game last year. Stanford opened as the favorite. I like K-State. I think they win a close one. I think K-State wins as well. Yeah, I think it's a close one, probably lower scoring. Both teams like to run the ball, chew the clock, so to speak. But Mm -hmm. I think K-State will go way over their five-and-a-half over-under win total. West Virginia at Maryland. Uh, my last pick here, I'll go with Maryland. I am excited to see Jared Dagey at West Virginia, see how he develops. I think he had a good season overall. He did get benched in the Liberty Bowl, so just kind of curious. To his brother, yeah, you got planned for Maryland. I'm excited for that. Good wide receiver, should have a good passing attack. Over-under is 57. I think Maryland will more than do its part in getting to the over. I, I see Maryland scoring 35 or so. Uh, question for me is, can West Virginia score with Maryland? Uh, I'll take Maryland in this one. I really liked West Virginia's defense a season ago. Now, you lose a lot from the team, but there's still some really good players back on that end. Letty Brown, the running back, Jared Dagey, that's a good little battery in the backfield. I'll go with the Mountaineers in this one. I really like what Neil Brown has done so far. All right, we got a bonus one. Yes. Predict the score. Biggest blowout that I think we found on the spread the other day. Nebraska's minus 40 against Fordham, who's covering the spread. Yeah, well, I, I found out as you discovered that Fordham's quarterback is like a wonderkin. Like, it is just some, like, amazing prodigy of football, uh, which caused me to take a, my score of 49 to nothing or 49 to 3 and make it 51 to 14. Uh, I like Scott Frost scheduling a surefire win after what was assuredly a disaster that will ultimately cost him his job in two years. All right, I'm going to predict 50 to 10. Push. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go with Nebraska 49 to 10. I'll say Fordham covers. Do you know what the uh, mascot for Fordham is? Uh, are they the Rams? I believe that is right. I asked and I didn't even totally know, but I think that's right. <laughs> He's Scott Jason. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take another time out here at Mama's Tamale Shop. Come on out. Free KU football tickets. And great food at Mama's Tamale Shop at 9th in Louisiana. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Mississippi, we got KU football tickets to give away. They got great food here. And you can come meet Scott Jason in the flesh, most importantly. Please do. Please do. I need someone to replace Derek sitting next to me. Oh, man. Come on. So KU South Dakota, that's the game tonight. 5.30 is when pregame coverage starts. 7 o'clock is when kickoff begins so kansas will win if what uh i think kansas will win if the jayhawks avoid mistakes if jason bean plays a relatively clean game and you give a chance for playmakers to simply make plays i mean it's not that complicated a formula take a guy like velton gardner or mari pesic hickson or or devin neal or really whoever I just think the Jayhawks need to show that that they have these guys that for years and years, in some cases, less than others, have been talked about as, yeah, they're a playmaker. They can do something with the ball in their hands. I I think if Kansas' playmakers on offense show up, they'll get enough from the defense to where it it really won't be an issue. For me, Kansas will win if they play mistake-free football. I mean, you're never going to have no mistakes in a game, but we know what that means generally, just less mistakes than the other team. I could also say Kansas will win if they dominate in the trenches, and they should because, you know, they're they're more talented. They have a good offensive line coach now, and 
I just feel like this is setting up where you have to dominate in the trenches in this game, and if you can't, then what game are you going to do that in? Okay, what about the other side of things? South Dakota will win if what? Uh, well, I think for one, if South Dakota, the Coyotes avoid mistakes for one, and also force Kansas into some. I, I think it really does come down to Kansas offensively, just because I don't think the ceiling for the South Dakota offense, I, I mean, I could be dead wrong about this. I don't think the ceiling is that high given what Kansas has specifically in the front seven. I know there are question marks about the linebacker position, but I just trust the names on Kansas's defensive line, the number of big bodies there. And, and I think you have to trust enough some of those guys at corner. They are young. They do have options, you know, to go with there if some of the guys aren't performing the young players like they think they will. But you would just expect that they have enough at those spots that it comes down to what the Jayhawks are able to do on offense. Because, you know, we saw that Coastal Carolina game a couple years ago, 12-7. If you can't score and you turn the ball over, uh, anything can happen there. So I think that's the thing. you got to force Kansas into some mistakes, probably some turnovers, um, and probably get a couple of interceptions in this one from Jason Bean. If South Dakota makes Kansas's quarterback spot an issue, then that's going to be great for them. Yeah, there, there's that's the big one for me. It's the turnovers. If South Dakota, you know, forces two turnovers and they don't turn the ball over at all, yeah, I can see them winning this game. Um, the other part of this is if their quarterback for me outplays what KU throws out their quarterback, yeah. I think that's a recipe for victory as well for them. Yeah, and, and I think another part of this is just don't get caught off guard. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the Coastal Carolina game was you know kind of a shell shock for KU, not only because Kansas made mistakes to basically hand the ball away and get down twenty eight to three, but Coastal Carolina had a quarterback Kansas wasn't ready for. Coastal Carolina had an offense that Kansas may not have been ready for. I mean, Scott Frost said the other day, just to go back to Nebraska, what do you say? Half the game plan went out the window just with how Illinois lined up, which is probably not something you want to admit if you're a coach who famously once said, uh, I think the league needs to adjust to us and not vice versa. But regardless, uh, I think that's a big part of it, too. You know, Every week, the answer will not be Kansas will win if Kansas avoids mistakes. Right. Kansas uh, so, will be competitive. If yeah, wh whatever. Yeah. But I, I think for this one, that really is it, right? Like, Kansas has to avoid mistakes or this will be uncomfortable. And the longer something stays uncomfortable, the more the pressure flips to the favorite. And now, you know, right now going into this game, pressure on South Dakota, right? South Dakota has to do something to beat Kansas. Kansas comes out and throws two picks on the first two drives of the game, pressure is right back on yep. Kansas, and Kansas has got to find a way to, to kind of make things change. Yeah, you have to have a good start. We've seen that too many times. The South Dakota State game with David Beatty's mm -hmm. first year is the one that sticks the most. I mean, it looked like they were going to get blown out early in that game by South Dakota State. Here's Scott Jason. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. Coming up next, good idea, bad idea, <laughs> and we'll give our final predictions for the score of the game. Who's going to cover the spread? What's the over-under going to be? Come on out, Mama's Tamale Shop. we got free KU football tickets, and we got lots of food here at Mama's Tamale Shop. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. All right, KU pregame with David Lawrence and Brandon McAnderson. Starts up in about 10 minutes from right now on KLWN with Scott Chase, and I'm Derek Johnson mm -hmm. as we finish things up here at Mama's Tamale Shop. Kiss Crew is still going to be out here until 6.30, and you can stop by whenever. 285 empanadas all day, four different flavors of margaritas. All right, we're going to play a fun game, Scott. Good idea, bad idea. It's a very simple yeah. game. I don't even think I need to explain it. You just tell me if it's a good idea or a bad idea, and I'll chime in as well. Playing your opener on a Friday night, is that a good idea or a bad idea? I'm going to say I'm not going to do this anymore. This will be the only time I ever okay. do this talking to you. I'm going to say okay idea. I think it, it caused some things to get changed around at the high school level here, but I think it's great for exposure, and I think – 
you know, a lot of times people complain about the games on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, I think for KU football specifically, that's a really good opportunity to make sure the game is going to be seen by everyone. I mean, there have been situations where games get on networks that, for us in media, if we're not, not there, it's hard to find or, or you have to get this subscription or X, Y, and Z. ESPN+, Plus, at least you know that anyone for any player on this team, any family member, any whatever, they can have access to it even if they do have to pay. So I think that's an, also in the okay-ish idea category because I think you'd prefer it to be on TV. But, yeah, Friday night, a lot of eyeballs. People will watch as long as you win. Good idea. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there just because it's, yeah, like if you win. But if you lose, now it's it's the headline. Or, you know, when they do college game day tomorrow, yeah. they might do highlights of the game, yeah. right? And especially if South Dakota wins the game. So that wouldn't be great. Um, but, yeah, I actually, you know, if it was on tomorrow at the same time as Clemson, Georgia, yeah. there's going to be some KU football fans who are like, no, I'm watching that game. What yeah. are you talking about? So, mm-hmm. yeah, from that standpoint, I think a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've seen multiple quarterbacks. We don't know if KU will do that, but it's definitely possible. Good what, idea or bad idea? Let me ask you, good idea or bad idea? I would say bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the one caveat here is, like, are we counting if they have a sp- certain formation for a guy? I'm not really counting that. Now, if it's a situation where you're rotating quarterbacks, terrible idea. If it's a situation where you're just saying, you get a drive, you get a drive, and the first guy goes out and has a touchdown, yeah. and then you still pull him and bring yeah. Even worse idea. So we that thought that's Oprah mostly. offense. Yeah. The, yes. You get a drive. You, get a, <laughs> yeah. you know, that happened to Peyton Bender. He quarterbacked a touchdown, then a field goal, and they pulled him out for Miles Kendrick and didn't pull him out the rest of the game. Uh, and that set everyone up for failure. It hurt Miles Kendrick. It hurt uh, Peyton Bender. It hurt David Beatty. I mean, it, it made the program worse. They ended up losing the game. So uh, I would agree with you. Bad idea. The one exception. I like the idea of having Jason Bean at quarterback and then still running a wildcat option with an even more mobile players. I don't know if that's Tory Lachlan, Jamal Warren, uh, figure out someone to run, but no, I, I think you stick with one guy. I think that's the good idea, so bad idea for multiple quarterbacks. I asked Devin Neal when we were doing breakouts, you know, because he's center fielder in baseball. You'd think good arm, but I asked yeah. him, and he said no. I, that's not in the playbook at all, but do you think he was lying to me because he didn't want that getting out? No, I, I think the okay. one you should have asked would have been Kenny Logan, who would have said 100% <laughs> that he could play quarterback. I have a fun Mike Lee story to tell you at a future time when we're not running up against it, similarly about wanting to play offense, but yeah, I, I think a Again, good idea. One quarterback, bad idea, multiple. Running on about 80% of first downs. Good idea or bad idea? I think good idea as long as it's working. Um, you know, I asked Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator, if he was planning to play uh, clock control uh, ball, and, and he said basically no. He doesn't believe that wins you football games. He doesn't, you know, time of possession, all that stuff. But uh, where I think he took that was more on the time of possession side as compared to the limiting possession side, which is really what I was getting at. I, I expect Kansas to, to really limit possessions, to try and um, grind games out later in the year. And I think that starts with establishing the run and being able to move the ball. So not the most exciting, maybe not at times the most efficient, but for Kansas, I actually think it could turn out to be the best thing. So uh, I'll say good idea running on about 80 per, uh, 80% of your yeah. first downs. NFL team, terrible idea. Good <laughs> passing offense, terrible idea. Yeah. Kansas, great idea, especially for this season. All right, what do you got on the next one? All right, I'll ask you, playing Kyron Johnson at defensive end and not linebacker or, I suppose, safety. Good idea or bad idea? I think it's a good idea. Like you said, I don't I don't know what that means for him long term. Like in the NFL, he's probably not playing that position. But I think this is going to be the best thing for him mm-hmm. in college right now. And I think it's going to allow him to emphasize his skills. I uh, really think he's going to have his best season of his career. And he was in my players to watch. 
I think it's a good idea. I would agree with you. I think anytime you can simplify responsibilities for someone who has that kind of elite talent, that, that really does help. Steven Parker's another guy. You would want him rushing more than you would want him really doing those kind of other things. Drew Prox was kind of in that category. He was so good in the run game and chasing down guys for tackles. I don't think you want him dropping back and dropping away from the action. Obviously, he's not on the team anymore. But, uh, you know, same thing. You don't want to make Kenny Logan, uh, Kenny Logan a cover cornerback. Right? You want him to be that explosive playmaker missile flying around tackling guys. Let Kyron Johnson do what he's good at. I think in this case, using his speed, being disruptive. I think it's a great idea for him. Maybe long-term it hurts a little bit because he'll probably have to play linebacker in the NFL. But at Kansas, I think great idea for him to play defensive end. All right, I'll give one last one, then you give one last one. Go Andy Kotelnicki mentioned with Christmas presents uh, <laughs> what he got. He got socks. He got, like, toy dinosaurs. Socks is a Christmas present. Good idea or bad idea? I'm going to say great idea. I think this is me getting older, but I, I always notice now, especially running socks, a nice pair of socks. I think that's an excellent present. You know, Andy Kotelnicki says, do you want something that's consistently good or occasionally great? And he says, hey, anyone in college sports can be occasionally great. Give me the thing that's consistently good. I'll say the same about socks. Presents can be hit or miss. Now, if anyone in my family or friends are listening, I don't want socks from you. I want the great present. But for the hypothetical of this specific scenario, I will take the socks and and I'll run. Yeah, I actually need socks right now. So uh, if anybody wants to get me an early Christmas present, I'm open to it. All right, what's your last one? Tarek, you are an adult. Get some socks, man. Jeez. Uh, good idea, bad idea. So I had this idea years ago, and this could really apply in the COVID era especially. Instead of cardboard cutouts, right, okay. where you pay a little bit of money, you get a cardboard cutout, right. how about mannequin day? You fill every seat with a mannequin. Dude. People can take them home with them, or they can oh get their God. face, their likeness, their body oh, size put so under this mannequin. What this do you think? Good so idea, ridiculous. bad idea? Mannequin. Um, great idea. It's it's a terrifying idea. They should 100% do this on Halloween because I know you're saying it from like a charming aspect. I think it would be creepy. You can't have any fans in the stadium. They're all mannequins. You make it as quiet as possible. Yeah. And it's just creepy looking mannequins looking at you, not moving for a whole game. I think that would be the biggest home field advantage maybe ever. Yeah. Have you seen the show All American? It's on yes. Netflix yeah. now. Uh, if you watch that show, the PA announcer booms over the speakers and gives kind of like play-by-play, which does not happen in real life. Like, he'll be like, oh, Spencer James is really struggling today to a crowd of, you know, however many people. If you could hear every single thing that was being said on that field, yeah, you could really have some fun with it and mess with them. So, yes, I'll say my idea was a good <laughs> idea, even though it's a bad idea. Derek, final predictions. Do you want to give your final prediction of this game coming mm. off that ridiculous segment? Yes, I do. 31-20 Kansas, South Dakota covers, but we hit the under yes uh yes you agree with my prediction i i am with you on the cover i'm with you on okay. the under look this line opened what at 15 and a half points I, I thought that was too high i saw it move down to 14 and a half 13 and a half i think it ended at 12 and a half uh, I, I do like kansas by 14 uh, 24 10 something in the range of that but now that jason bean has been announced as the quarterback i, I would just give that possibility is scott jason i'm Derek johnson that's our first show at the pregame tailgate at mama's tamale shop but the kiss crew is still going to be here till 6 30 come on whenever awesome food love the street tacos 285 empanadas all day four different flavors of margaritas thank you scott thank you richie back in the studio rock chalk